So we're in this middle of a 21-day period of prayer and fasting, and I hope you're taking part. In some capacity, there was different ways that I, I challenged you to do that. And here's what we're doing. We're praying and fasting in 2017 out of a desire for more of Jesus. We want more of you, Lord. This comes from Luke 5. And for the multiplication of his church, this church. In Acts 13, we see that. That's what we're praying and fasting for. And what we know is, is that it's Jesus who builds his church. I've shared that. And what's wonderful is he desires to use you and I in that great endeavor. So what I want to do today is I'd like to be clear on how it is that he desires to use us. And I'll say this, he desires to use our weaknesses, not our strengths. We flip that sometimes. And so now here's what I mean by that. Too often we've convinced ourselves that if we position our resources and organize our strategies, then in church, as in every other sphere of life, we can accomplish anything we set our minds to, right? We can think that way if we're not careful. We think we partner with God by putting together great performances, hiring charismatic personalities, setting up extraordinary programs, and by having on hand ministry professionals. That's how we can approach church and think that's how we get it done. That's not it. Because here's the problem. What is strangely lacking in the picture of performances, personalities, programs, and professionals, here's what's lacking. Desperation for the power of God. God's power, if we're not careful, can be at best an add-on to our strategy. Can that not be? It's a bit frightening for me, to be honest, as a pastor, to think that I could lead a church that can carry on with most of our activities smoothly, efficiently, even successfully, while never realizing the Holy Spirit of God could be absent in our midst. It's dangerous. We can, if we're not careful, deceive ourselves, mistaking the presence of physical bodies in a crowd like we have here this morning for the existence of spiritual life in a community. That's not always the case. But here's the thing. When I open the book of Acts in the New Testament, which I'll tell you, it's been wonderful reading as a part of the Live Dead Joy. If you're, if you're doing the Live Dead Challenge, I've loved getting back into Acts. It's been a little bit. And as I've been reading that, what you see is a small band of disciples in chapter 1 and 2 in particular who know they need God's power. They must have God's power, and they know it. They're not busy putting their faith in themselves or relying on themselves. They're not. They're pleading for the power of God, and they're confident they're not going to accomplish anything if God doesn't show up. We need to have that kind of thinking. And so what I'd like to do is start our message this morning right there in Acts chapter 1. I want to walk through a couple of passages in Acts. So now if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I hope you do. Maybe you're here for the first time. You wonder, why would, why would you say that? Because I want you to have a Bible. If you don't have one, we've got them in the, the seats underneath you. Feel free to take that. If you don't have one at home, take it as a gift from the church. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, or chapter 1 verse 8. I'm going to invite you to stand also for the reading of God's Word as we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus now talking to the disciples. He tells them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the disciples this, tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and they do it. That's good disciples. You obey the Lord. So now we turn to Acts chapter 2, 
first four verses, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. So they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and here's what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Here's what we know. God sent Jesus. He came as a baby, born in a manger. We celebrated that last month. He lived a perfect life, was sent to the cross to pay for your evil hearts and mine as well, to enable us to have a relationship with God. And then he rose from the dead and was visited by the disciples. He visited with the disciples for 40 days before he ascends into heaven. And this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been visiting with the disciples. He gives them this command, wait in Jerusalem, and then he ascends into heaven. They want him to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He tells them the Holy Spirit will empower them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples do as they're told. They wait in Jerusalem. They continue to go and pray at the temple. This is what they're doing every day. And within a week, the Feast of Pentecost is being celebrated in Jerusalem. The Feast of Pentecost, so we think of Pentecost, we have one thing in mind, but it's a Jewish festival. It's a feast. It's called Shavuot, and it comes 50 days after Passover. It celebrates two things. It celebrates the end of the spring harvest, so basically the harvest has come in, so they're celebrating that, and it also celebrates of law of the law coming moses going up on mount sinai and bringing the law back down the ten commandments so basically this is a festival saying thank you god for the harvest and thank you god for the law it's what they're celebrating god and on that day that celebrates harvest i love this on the day that celebrates harvest on the day of pentecost the holy spirit shows up in a powerful way and the church is set on fire they're ignited with passion for Jesus and the coming harvest. God sends his spirit and power, and everything changes. Peter, who had weeks before denied even knowing Jesus, he stands up into a crowd of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and out of that crowd, 3,000 are baptized and saved that day. Only the Holy Spirit can do something like that. And that's the power of God. And that's what a church has to have for God to be the one, for Jesus to be the one who's building the church. And then we arrive at verse 42, and this is where I'm actually going to speak from this morning. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, this will be where the message is this morning. So these people are saved, they're baptized, and here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the early church? I love that passage. So I'm going to share a couple of points from it. And the first is this, is that an empowered church multiplies as it forms authentic community that is devoted to spiritual growth and spirit-led living. We see this in the first two verses. The early church devoted themselves to spiritual growth in a couple of ways, and the first was in teaching. And considering that Jesus spent so much time teaching the crowds and his inner band of disciples, 
It's not surprising that teaching had an important place in the early church. We see that in the life of Christ. With time, the church developed a comprehensive body of teaching so that Paul told the Ephesian elders later in Acts that he had given them the whole counsel of God. This is what Paul's talking about. At the end of his life, here's what Paul urges Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, later the church came to recognize that certain books with connections to the apostles, they best represented that good deposit that Paul's talking about. And the canon of the New Testament came into being. That's how they made that decision. The New Testament, along with the Old Testament, what we have here, this has become our teaching today. This is one of the reasons we come together on a Sunday morning, to learn about God's Word. That's what we're doing right now. This is why we're going to work through entire books of the New Testament, starting with Luke, so that we can, uh, which we're going to continue that series next week, by the way, if you're wondering. We'll keep going with Luke. And this is one of the reasons as we come together uh, on that Sunday morning that we want to be grounded in God's Word. It's right in the Bible. It says the early church devoted themselves to it. We want to do the same. So we have the capacity to be an empowered, multiplying community as we learn God's Word. But we also find the early church devoted themselves to spiritual growth through fellowship. The context of this passage is right before, as I shared, 3,000 people baptized and saved. And what happens? They learn about the Word, and then they spend time in fellowship. Fellowship is important. New believers need to be taught God's Word, but they also need to be hanging out with people like you if you have a relationship with God. In fact, the Youth for Christ, I love this, their follow-up guide, it says the most important thing to do in the first few days that someone's made a decision to follow Jesus is to fellowship with other believers. It doesn't say anything else. It says fellowship with them. Why? Because it's in the context of new believers seeing how Christians live that they realize, I need God's Word in my life, and I need to be praying to him. But I do wonder, as I was reflecting on this, if someone, if there was a new believer following you around, would they feel compelled to be in God's word, to be spending time in prayer? Just something to think about. The early church operated this way, and obviously we should as well. This is why we started Connection Point Multiply. This is what Tammy was talking about this morning, that when a person makes a decision to follow Jesus here on a Sunday morning, we call them to the front, not because we want to embarrass them. In fact, we don't. We want to celebrate with them in the decision they've made, but we also want to get them God's Word, a devotional on the book of Mark, and get them connected to a mentor because we know the value of new believers hanging out with Christians. They need it. The enemy will do everything he can in those first few days, to steal a love for God, kill a desire for right living, and destroy that new believer's relationship with their loving creator. And so we ask him to come up front so we can match people up, give them a Bible. We want them to succeed in their relationship with God. And why is this important? Because fellowship is vital to the growth of every believer, every one of us. I'm talking about new believers, but don't we all need fellowship with other believers? Absolutely. Our multiply mentors, they simply come along new believers and they do life with them. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. If you talk to Tammy, you really have to work hard to make sure people are living right. But Jesus is worth it and eternity depends on it. We have the ability to be an empowered, multiplying community as we fellowship. And we also find the early church, they devoted themselves to spiritual growth through communion. Verse 42 says, the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread which is referring to communion. I made emphasis late last year 
that there was an understanding in the early church that Jesus shows up in a special way during communion. We read the verse in Luke. Usually we read that every morning before we get into the song time. We want to read about the presence of Jesus in communion. And what the context is, is Jesus meets with the Emmaus Road travelers, and as they go into the village and he breaks the bread, all of a sudden their eyes see who Jesus is. There's something special that happens in communion. That's why we take communion. Sometimes we do it corporately. We do that once a month where we can all take it together. But otherwise, you can take it every Sunday. We have stations set up in this room. So as you sing songs, if you want to take communion, we encourage you to do that. We have the ability to be an empowered, multiplying community as we take communion, pursuing the presence of Jesus. And we also find the early church devoted themselves to spiritual growth through prayer. This is why we have a prayer room. I encourage you, come out in opportunities. The prayer room is always open, 8.30 to 5. Come, time, come any day of the week, and you can come and pray in our prayer room. We'd love for you to do that. We utilize it at different times during the year. Engage in prayer. This is why we have our annual prayer guide. If you didn't grab one of those on January 1st, they're in the seat back, so I encourage you to pick one up. By next Sunday, we'll have a digital version on the iBooks bookstore, so if you want to carry it around digitally, you can do that as well. We want you praying, so we want to provide resources that encourage you to pray. We have monthly prayer points so that you can pray with us about what we're talking about on a Sunday morning. Prayer is important to ensure God's power is propelling the movement of this church and not manpower. We must pray. You know, I was encouraged this year to see more people come out for this year's week of prayer. We start the first week of the year in a week of prayer, just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, one hour. I was glad to see how many showed up, but we still have a lot of room for growth. With 550 plus people here on a Sunday morning, and 100 people come out for prayer, how many know that we still have room for more prayer in this church? I encourage you, as we have emphasis in prayer, come out and pray. It makes a difference. If we want the will of God to invade this earth, we need to pray it into existence. May we pray. We have the ability to be an empowered, multiplying community as we pray. And what was the result of the early church devoting themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer? Here's what happened. The very next verse, Luke writes, awe came upon every person. Through spiritual growth, they experienced awe, and then the wonders came through the hands of the apostles. What a powerful thing. Spiritual growth in the context of community, it results in awe and wonder as God empowers the church to operate supernaturally. I don't want God's power to be an add-on strategy for our church. I desire for God's power to be at the center of everything that we do. I desire for each one of you to live spirit-dependent lives. So let's take a moment of self-evaluation in this area. I've got some questions that you can ask yourself to see if you're living a spirit-dependent life. Here's the first one. Are you living a life that's dangerous rather than safe? Adventurous rather than comfortable? When a God-given opportunity comes your way, do you run after it? Or do you simply carry on with life as normal? Are you concerned with living a safe, comfortable life rather than chasing after God-sized dreams and the adventure of a lifetime? I encourage you, life to the full, the rich and satisfying life Jesus promises requires you to live a spirit-dependent life. Are you responsive rather than directive? And here's what I mean. When something interrupts your schedule, do you look at it as an inconvenience or an opportunity? Now, what I mean by it is that person, of course. People interrupt your day. So when that happens, do you look at that person as an inconvenience or a God-given opportunity, a divine moment for you to speak into? Are you trusting rather than fearful? Are you anxious about your life? 
Do you trust God with your future? Can I encourage you? God can be trusted. Are you giving space for God to work rather than scripting? Do you script every moment of every day, or do you leave room for God to work? You know, one of the challenges in an American life is to leave margin. You need margin in your life in lots of areas. One example would be going to the grocery store. Do you go simply to get in and get out and keep on rolling? Or could you leave some extra time in case God wants to speak through you into the life of another that day? To experience all that God has for us, we must learn to live spirit-dependent lives. And the good news is, if you don't know how, we're about to dive into that with our Spring Connect group, Naturally Supernatural. We're going to talk all about it. And this was so important to me to get into what it means to live a spirit-dependent life. I changed the whole Spring Connect group schedule. We met in the fall, and I said, let's change it all. We want everyone to live in this capacity, because I want you to experience the rich and satisfying life that God has for you. But I know what happens as we learn to be empowered in his name to live out the life that he has for us. We have the ability to be an empowered, multiplying community as we live by the Spirit. You know, be devoted to spiritual growth. Read your Bible. Pray. Be here every Sunday for teaching on God's Word. Communion and fellowship. These are all important things. There's power in community. And then sign up for our Spring Connect group. You've got a chance to do that today. You'll learn how to live a Spirit-dependent life. An empowered church multiplies as it forms authentic community that's devoted to spiritual life, to spiritual growth, and spirit-led living. But we also know an empowered church multiplies as it forms authentic community that's generous. You know, in what ways was the early church generous? Number one, with their resources. Luke writes, And all who believed were together, they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all, as any had need. They had all things in common. Did they sell everything just to rid themselves of stuff? No, that's not what it says they did. They shared as there was a need. And we have a body that is quick to do the same, and I love that about this church. I shared a series in the fall in a heart of thanksgiving. I hope you were here for that. We learned that giving generously, it's a matter of the heart, and that New Testament believers are found giving tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. That's why our offering envelopes are designed that way. Basically, giving reflects the very heart of a generous God, and it should characterize a Christian community. Christian communities are giving communities. Last year, our church helped hundreds of families with food, with backpacks full of school supplies, car seats, Thanksgiving baskets. We helped thousands around the world have access to the message of Jesus. No greater gift than that. We support over 70 cross-cultural workers in 35 different nations. What a blessing! what a generous church connection point is. But my challenge is, is that reflect you? If you're a believer and you don't have a generous heart, I'd like to encourage you, start giving to get rid of a selfish heart. Giving breaks selfishness, which is our natural default. We have the ability to be an empowered, multiplying community as we give. The early church was generous with their resources, but also with their homes. I love this one. Luke writes, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. How many have had that experience? Going over to another person's home and you receive that food with glad and generous hearts. Isn't that wonderful? We need to open our homes to others. As you see new faces on Main Street, I challenge you to ask that person, hey, do you have plans for lunch today? Why don't you come with me? Come over to my home. That's what we should do. That's what the early church did. They met daily in one another's homes. They understood the need for community. 
They were generous with their homes in order to establish that authentic community. And as you read through scriptures, you find the entire Christian life, including spiritual growth, battling evil and Satan, and serving God, it's all intended to be done in community. Every last bit. As you read through scripture, you find that. But now people today, we're so individualistic that the biblical ideal of community, it seems a little bit strange. It can. We live private lives without the interference of others. That's what we like to do. We do open up certain segments of our lives as is necessary to engage with society, but we usually choose what that is. But that comes nowhere close to the biblical ideal of devoting to one another in fellowship and having everything in common. You know, if we have emotional problems, for example, we go to a professional therapist who's not a part of our social network so that they can help us in a detached manner. And in this way, we find problems for our solutions without allowing others to invade our privacy or disturb our lives. That's what we do. But that's not Christian community. Basically, the idea of commitment to a community, it's alien to our culture, characterized by transient relationships. Especially in a university setting, we can kind of come and go, and if we're not intentional to jump in and plug in and be a part of community, we can simply keep on going. You have to choose it. You have to choose community. People change spouses readily when one relationship becomes undesirable. People regularly change jobs for advancement and convenience, and often they go to work for a competitor they once worked at overtaking. The idea of 20 or 30 year veterans in institution, that's of a past age. We don't do that anymore. People move homes, and it reduces the chances of them ever connecting in community. You know, in earlier times, residents of a neighborhood, they had to depend on others in order just to survive. But now we're in a place that oftentimes, if there's someone living alone next door and they were to pass away, we wouldn't even know it, except by the evidence of pileup of newspapers or mail. And we know it's true, but here's the problem, and here's where I'm going with this. As human beings, we are communal beings. We cannot find fulfillment in life unless our community life is meaningful. I'm going to say that again. We cannot find real fulfillment in life unless our community life is meaningful. Life without community, it creates a deep void in people's lives. But the good news is the church was made for community. Connection Point is committed to community. That's why we do connect groups. The mission of the church is to lead someone from a place of believing in who Jesus is. May we see that this morning, but we don't want to stop there. We want to see you become a part of the church, a place of belonging. You belong in the church. As you journey with Jesus, you need others alongside you to help in that, and that's what our connect groups do, so that we know we come to Christ alone, but we grow in Jesus together so that you can become more like him. And then after you've become like Jesus, you can continue to bring others to who Jesus is. You bring Jesus to people and you bring them to get connected to their church. That's our mission. And so today we'll have opportunity to sign up for that connect group because you belong in fellowship. And for us to experience an empowered, multiplying community, we need to be in connect groups together. It's a well-established fact that many problems are best solved within the context of a caring community. And true Christian community also helps us live right. We need one another. As you walk out these doors today, sign up for our Spring Connect group. You simply sign up for the group, and then we'll assign a facilitator. So you're not signing up under anybody this time. It's a little bit different semester. But just go out, sign up, and then we'll plug you into groups because we start on Wednesday at 6.30. So we start this week, and I don't want you to miss it. You were made for community. You belong in community. An empowered church multiplies as it forms authentic community. 
that is committed to spiritual growth, spirit-led living, and generosity. And an empowered church also multiplies as it forms authentic community that praises God and finds favor with all people. You know, the early Christians, they developed an attitude toward each other that enabled them to enjoy one another. I hope you experience that. I hope you've got people in this church that you can enjoy life with together. They took time, the early church, to praise God. I love that. This is why last Wednesday we had a soak night, that we want to launch our connect groups this year by coming together so that we can praise together. So I encourage you, if you missed it, join us for the next one. We'll have it in May before we get into the summer semester. Join us as we praise God, trusting for him each part of the year. You know, we mentioned several times this morning our Connect cards from last week. We come together to celebrate what God is doing. We heard this morning someone baptized in the Holy Spirit and a mom who is done with chemo and doing great. Praise the Lord. May we continue to make room for celebration in every aspect of our lives. We do it in our Connect groups. Things to celebrate and things to pray about. Praise is a discipline we must learn to cultivate when we meet. The importance of joy and sincerity in our times together cannot be overestimated. In fact, Jesus was criticized, if you read through scriptures, you'll see, criticized by religious leaders of the day because of his willingness to have fun and attend dinner parties. We're going to get to this later in Luke, Luke chapter 7. It'll be fun to talk about. When Jesus, think about this, but Jesus came into the world as the man of sorrows, but he still made room for fun in his life. Why? Because he was a complete person. And fun has a place in human completeness. You know, to this end, here's what I know. Real joy and gladness, it's only found in Jesus. It really is. The world sets up imitation endeavors, but life to the full, the rich and satisfying life, it's only promised through our Creator. And it happens in the context of community. The early Christians, they also enjoyed the favor of the people outside of the church, which often happens, you know, as you begin to praise God, as you begin to become joyful and exuberant, there's something about you that becomes an attraction for others. People want to know, what is it about this person? I'm not that joyful. I don't like to wake up on Mondays. But when you've got Jesus in your heart and you're praising him, if your natural inclination is praise, people will see it and you'll find favor. So I would say, do you look for the victories that God is giving? Or are you focused only on the challenges that you're facing? When you fill out your weekly Connect card, we have those this morning. Are you sharing your celebrations to lift the hearts of those facing challenges? As we come together in community, let's praise God here and be found praising God outside in the streets. Let's not restrict our, pay, our praise to this space. It's important. And as the song, the song declares, may his praise ever be on our lips. And as it is, you can expect to find favor with those around you. Your praise will be contagious to friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues. An empowered church multiplies as it forms authentic community. We know that it does. You know, as you continue to read Acts, what you find is people coming to Jesus every day. It's awesome. In Acts 3, Peter and John speak the name of Jesus, and a 40-year-old man crippled from birth stands up to walk for the first time. 5,000 people added to the church that day. In Acts 4, they pray until the building where they're gathered begins to shake. Now that's a prayer meeting. In Acts 5, the sick are being healed and evil spirits are being cast out. In Acts 6 and 7, the danger the disciples are facing, it's increasing, but so is the power of God in their lives. By chapter 8, the church is scattering to Judea and Samaria, sharing the story of Jesus everywhere that they go. 
And then Philip gets zapped by the Holy Spirit from one place to another to lead an Ethiopian to Jesus. In Acts 9, Saul, the persecutor of Christians, he becomes a follower of Jesus. In Acts 10, racial and ethnic barriers to the spread of the gospel, they begin to collapse. In Acts 11, the church at Antioch is founded and the future base of missions is launched. In Acts 12, as Peter sits on death row in a jail cell, the church prays and suddenly Peter's chains fell off. That's powerful prayer right there. He practically sleepwalks out of prison. He doesn't even know what's going on. And Acts 13 launches Paul into his travels from city to city, preaching the message of Jesus, healing people of diseases, casting out demons, and even raising people from the dead. I love Acts. As the story unfolds, Luke, who's the author of Acts, he continually makes much of God in the way that he tells the story. When Peter preaches at Pentecost, here's what Luke writes. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, who added those souls? Luke doesn't even say. But we find our answer in verse 47. We read it this morning. The Lord added to their number. It's all about the power of God. This is the design of God among his people. Here's what he does. He gives unlikely people like you and like me power so that it is clear who deserves the glory for all the success that takes place. I don't deserve the glory. You don't deserve the glory. The glory is all God's because he empowers us to do that work, and it becomes clear that it's all him. And as I read through Acts, I can't help to be, to long to be a part of this kind of church, a scene where we refuse to operate in a mindset that depends on what we can achieve with our own abilities, a scene where the church radically trusts in God's great power to provide unlikely people with unlimited, unforeseen, uninhibited resources to make his name known as great. I want to be a part of that kind of church. I hope you want to be a part of that kind of church. And the way that we do that this morning is we walk out these doors and sign up to be a part of Naturally Supernatural so we can come together in community and learn what it is to live a spirit-dependent life. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close this morning. And as you're standing, I'd love to ask, if you're here today and you've seen some testimonies of lives changed by God, and maybe you're out of community, both with God and the church, but you realize today that you don't want to live that way any longer. You desire to have a relationship with your loving creator, with God, and you desire to be part of a community. Our hearts long for it. We have a void without it. But that decision can be made today. You can make that commitment this morning. We want you to have a chance to do that before you go. So with every head bowed this morning, if that's you today, and you would say, I need to make that decision. I want to be reconnected with God. I want community with him as my creator. Simply raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you before we go today. Anybody here that would say, I want to follow God. I don't have that relationship, but I want it today. Right up here in the front. Anybody else? Over here in the back, on the left. Anybody else that would want to say, I want to follow God. Turn my life over to him today. Anybody else that wants that relationship to say, I don't want to leave this place devoid of God. Well, let me pray with you before we go. Oh God, I just pray that you would impress upon these hearts who have made that decision to follow you, that they would desire to be reconnected with you, but they would desire to be connected with your church, that they can grow more in love with you each and every day. I, got, I pray that you would empower them by your Holy Spirit as we continue to close, and as we go out of this room to the back, may they come forward to the front, that they might have a Bible in their hands, a devotional and be able to get connected with the mentor so that we could have somebody journey with them with Jesus. God, we thank you for your display of your power today in the lives of three people in particular. 
God, what an awesome thing that you come and you absolutely transform lives. And we just thank you for that today. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, if you raise your hand, Deanne is up here in the front, and I just would encourage you as people depart out these doors this morning, don't go through the back, and maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you'd say, you know what, I want to get connected with God, I simply would invite you, come forward as people are going backward so that you can get a Bible and get connected with God this morning. And as you leave from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you, may he show you his mercy and fill you with his peace. Amen. Go with God this morning.